When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Cultivating Success Podcast. Jeff Sofer and Jonathan Wolfson are brothers and business partners of the top landscaping company, Nature's Experts. Nature's Experts is home to six companies that cater to all your outdoor needs. To learn more about Jeff and Jonathan, simply visit us at www.naturesexperts.com. On the podcast, Jeff and Jonathan bring together other business owners and entrepreneurs to share with you how they developed a prosperous company and how you can too. You will gain insights and meaningful advice on creating the building blocks to success and longevity in the entrepreneurial realm. And now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sofer and Jonathan Wolfson. Al, welcome to the Cultivating Success Podcast. We're excited to have you here and to have a deep dive into commercial real estate and all of the different facets of it that you cover, actually. So thanks for coming and joining us here. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. So just to dive right into it, Hal is involved with commercial real estate, which I think that is people really don't understand the different facets of really what you can do in commercial real estate, because there really is a difference between a commercial broker and a residential broker. So Hal, tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us about the kind of different commercial real estate that you're involved with. Sure. So I work for a company called Newmark, uh, which is a publicly traded company. Um, It's backed by Tanner Fitzgerald out of New York. And, uh, you know, we are strictly commercial real estate. And we also have a financing department as well that handles all the financing for us on the deals that we do. My team here in South Florida, um, we specialize in the sale of large multifamily properties throughout the South Florida market. You know, we've been the number one team for the last couple of years in South Florida uh, for deals, $25 million and up, which is our specialty. And uh, we sell a a wide range of different kinds of deals. We sell brand new deals um, that are straight from the developer. We sell you know, older deals, you know, 70s and 80s and even 90s construction, where we categorize those as added value deals. You know, when we sell it to a new buyer, they'll go But it's all residential, though. It's 100% multifamily residential. Okay, so, so people can understand it's not commercial, like where it's like commercial shopping centers or warehouses or anything like that. This is right. residential, in the commercial, sector, commercial buildings. Okay. Real estate, you know, you have the multifamily, which we specialize in. Obviously, you have other groups that specialize in, you know, office buildings and shopping centers and you know, triple net. So it's, it's really like a niche and, you know, it's completely different than residential real estate. You know, when, when I buy and sold my personal homes, you know, I hired a realtor to sell it. And the way I categorize it is that if you broke your leg, you'd go to someone who specializes in, in, in that field. You wouldn't go to an eye doctor, for instance, or a general practice. Uh, well, yeah, but that's to really John's what's... point, to John's point, he was saying at the beginning, it's a lot of people don't really understand the difference between a residential, you know, broker and a commercial broker. But the thing is, they might be confused since you do residential, but yet it's considered commercial. So maybe you could explain that a little. Correct. Yeah. So, so the properties that we sell are, are large, you know, apartment complexes. Where, for instance, it's, if it's a three hundred unit uh, community, it's three hundred, you know, units within that community, three hundred tenants, and you know, we sell to a large variety of, of clients, whether they're institutional, uh, REITs which are publicly traded companies and then, you know, just private, you know, individuals that, you know, are high well net worth. Cause like I said, the minimum usually deals that we do are right around 20, $25 million and up. 
So are there a lot of developers that you have relationships with that they want you to uh, represent them to sell their property? Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot, a lot of deals that we sell are, you know, being the, the newer deals, you know, we have those developers that are they're categorized as merchant builders, meaning that, you know, they build the communities and then they, once they get the property stabilized, they'll, they'll sell them off. Why do you think that the uh, real estate developers wouldn't brokerage, wouldn't broker them themselves because they're selling something that's so expensive, so valuable, and they're selling it for such a big price. Why would they farm it out to you guys instead of them just doing that themselves? Probably conflict of interest. You know, a lot of times it's not just their money. It's, it's other partners in, is involved as well. So they want to make sure that they have a, a, a true process. You know, we're a national firm. So, you know, all the, the groups, you know, know our company and know who we are. I think Jeff, when you're when you're dealing with multifamily and commercial, mm-hmm. there's different markets that are most advantageous for your cash. Mm-hmm. So South Florida isn't always the best place to park your money for multifamily. You might take longer for particular deals to unfold here mm-hmm. because of zoning, because of different options of trying to buy different land together. And I feel like that would be the reason I think where, you know, you don't want to do it all in house because you want experts, like I think any industry, you're wanting experts in each area. You know, you can, you're definitely a, co- a commercial multifamily residential expert. But these are rental buildings. But, right. But that's, that's, you wouldn't be the same thing if you're in Houston, Texas, it's a different market, you know? But so, but, but, but so you're here in South Florida, don't you run out of properties? If that's just your niche and you just stick within the, that niche, I mean, how is there always stuff for sale in just this area? You'd be surprised how many apartment complexes there are currently right now. We have about twelve or thirteen deals, you know, actually listed that we're going to be marketing over the next, you know, thirty days. You know, we've done about you know four billion dollars worth of business over the last couple of years consistently in South Florida, strictly in South Florida. So only only multifamily communities, and mm. um, you know, we, we're we're part of a big team also. Not only our South Florida team, but we have an office in Orlando that does the same thing, Tampa. Yeah, but I'm talking about in this geographic area, you had kept mentioning you were in South Florida. So I was just thinking to myself, I mean, how many can there be that are for sale? I know there's a lot of apartment communities, um, but how many could actually be for sale at one time? Well, I'll tell you just last year alone, um, I'll pull up right now. I'll tell you exactly. That's just, and South Florida is considered the Tri-County area. Miami-Dade. So so we can build South Florida along with uh, Fort Myers and Naples. So if you take all our deals that we did last year, so then it's not just Miami-Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach. Yeah. So just last year alone, we did 57 deals. Okay. But that's including the Fort Myers area, like you were saying. Yeah. That's considered yeah. South Florida also. We did five deals in uh, Fort Myers and Naples last year out of that 57. The rest wow. Were- so 52 of them were done in the Tri-County area here. Yeah. And then in 2021, we did a total of... I feel like 88. that's a lot, John. They're not the only ones selling. Interesting. You know I mean? Well, to me, I think that in general... You know, especially with real estate in general and multifamily, there is a different turnover and life cycle because people at a certain point, you use up all of your goodwill in the property right. and it appreciates and you have to figure out ways where you can maximize your cash. So I would assume in the multifamily uh, arena, I would think if you buy a $25 million property or asset and you have it for uh, 10 years, mm-hmm right? You eventually probably t- suck out all of the different depreciation. And then you're like, all right, well, what can I do next with it? It's appreciated, uh, you know, X amount of dollars. 20%. And, you know, can I sell this for more than I bought it for cash out? 
roll it into another investment and also have additional depreciation. I feel like, is that a, a, a like a normal process a model? people follow? Is that the normal model? Not so much really here in South Florida. I mean, maybe other parts of the country, but really in South Florida, the average hold for these two to four years, maybe five years. Um, That's it. Why? And why is that? Why is that? Because, you know, the, the rental market here in South Florida is the hottest in the country right now. You know, especially why since, sell then? Especially since 2020. So, you know. Tal, why sell? To John's question, why sell then? Because they're hitting their, their numbers and, uh, you know, they're hitting their, so, so a lot of these companies, they have an exit strategy. They're saying, listen, we're going to hold this property until it hits X amount of dollars. And a lot of times because the, the rental market is so strong here in South Florida, they're hitting those parameters and, and target numbers. Quicker than they expect. As we sell, I mean, I'll give you two different examples, for instance. You know, we have a deal up in West Palm Beach, it's 300 units. And we sold that property four times in the last seven years. Oh, wow. Wow. Each, each so what did it start at? Yeah, how much? In, what did it start at for sale? Yeah, we want to know. All right. I will tell you. Um, so first sold the property in 2018, 48.5 million. 48.5. Okay. And then we sold it again in 2020 uh, for 56,225. Okay. Actually, I missed Not the, bad, right? Not a I, bad two years work for anybody. I didn't realize it, but in 2016, we sold the property for 36 million 350. Mm. Wow. Mm. 2018, you know, so two years later. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So in four years, went you went million. $20 million. Yep. So, 20 million. Well, no, it went up 10 and 10. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Four yeah. years. The first one like, was. That's nothing. The first one was 2016 for 36 million 350. And then two years later, it sold for 48.5. Then 56. And then two years later after that, it traded for... 2020 was 56 million, you yeah, said. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I don't, you know, broker deals. I don't personally invest in properties here in South Florida. I, I invest in properties outside of South Florida. Why is that? Um, just because of conflict of interest. I don't want clients to think that, you know, I'm taking a deal for them in South Florida. So uh, a few years ago, I teamed up with a former client of mine and we ended up buying some properties up in Gainesville, Florida. And uh, we bought them, you know, we bought two properties together. We bought them for 29 million. And then we sold it at the end of last year uh, for 51. Oh my God. That's unbelievable. Amazing. And now we're purchasing another deal. We're closing uh, in a couple of weeks, also in Gainesville, um, you know, 312 units, not too far from there. So we're starting the process over again. That's so what's so the reason amazing. to start the process over again if rents are continuing to climb? So, so I think words, that's a good question for anybody, whether you're, you have a duplex. For a lot of times, you know, when they, when they buy these properties, they do a big added value. You know, they'll go in, they'll upgrade the units, obviously in return increases the rents. And so when they do that, they take out a bridge loan. And usually the bridge loans are for anywhere from, you know, two to three yes. years. And yes. so after they do their renovations and upgrade the, the units and, and increase the rents, after the bridge loan is due in two to three years, they'll look at two options. So look at a, a refinancing option. How much are they going to be able to take out if they refinance the property? And then they'll you know, call us and say, hey, if you guys were going to sell the property, how much do you think the property would be worth? So we look at two options. And just like we, I did on mine you know, in Gainesville, we did the exact same thing. You know, we did a major renovation over there. And Interest is high, sell, and then buy something mm, else. Amazing. Interest is low, refinance, and maybe keep it or pull money out at that point. What's your fee structure? What do you guys, what do you guys, what percentage do you charge? Yeah, we, we, we just went under contract on a deal in North Miami Beach. And, you know, it's an older property, you know, off 167th Street. It's 199 apartments. They did a renovation program over there where 
their renovations are now getting four to five hundred dollars more in rent than the previous tenants were getting, you know, when when they were in there on a non-renovated unit. And that's what you see on here in South Florida because you know, 2020, everyone came down to South Florida, the rental market just skyrocketed. So yeah. you know, people on renewals, you know, if they wanted to stay in their same apartment, they had to you know pay an additional two, three, four hundred dollars more rent. If they decided to move out, they put a new tenant in there uh, for another, you know, four five hundred dollars more in run. And that was consistent since 2020. Uh, so we're going. Is on. it still trending that way now? Now, now not, I feel like not the, the as much. You know, I mean, we saw huge, massive rent growth during that period of time, and now it's starting to level off. I mean, we're still seeing anywhere from five to ten percent increases in rents, but not the thirty percent or forty percent that we're seeing for the last three years. What's your fee structure? It depends on deals. You know, it's all negotiable. I mean, we have a lot of clients that we do a lot of business with, so you know, we'll work with them on it. But usually, the average, I mean, on, on a $50 million deal is usually anywhere from, you know, 75% or 1%. It's, did you say 75% and hear what you said? 75 basis points. I'm sorry, 75 basis points. So 0.75%. Yeah. So, so it's really 0.75. Yeah. yeah. That's average. Average. Yeah. And what will you guys go down to? You, like you, you said, do, if you have a good client, you'd go down. So what would you go down to? We, we do like a base fee and then we'll do an incentivized fee that we get a certain percentage over a certain pricing. So, you know, a lot of times we're hitting because it's so competitive down here. I mean, on the deal, I what, just will you, what will you go down to though? There's no minimum. I mean, usually our minimum fee, I mean, we won't go anything less than, you know, 300, 350,000, you know, for, for the yeah, it's more, I would assume it's Got more it. dollar generated right. because if you sell, if it's sold quick and it's, you know, X amount of yeah. a thousand units, obviously, yeah. you know, and everything's very competitive down here. I mean, on the deal I just told you about that we just went under agreement on, um, I mean, we had 17 groups come in toward the property and we ended up with uh, just under 10 offers uh, within a three-week period. How long ago was that? Wow. Just now. We just went under agreement last Friday. And yet, uh, so things like that are hot, but yet you go into a residential world and you talk about you know, some of these apartments that are selling or some of these apartments that are for sale, condos, and they're in attractive areas. They're say two, three, four million dollars. They're having a hard time selling them. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we saw a slowdown also when interest rates went up. You know, we didn't see. So you mean so you're saying that you would have had 20 or 30 offers at, at when the interest rates were lower? No, I think what happened was, you know, I mean, just to give you an insight, I mean, we beat our 2021 numbers in the first half of 2022, and then you know the second half of 2022 is really where everything was kind of slow, slowed down because of the increase in the interest rates. Now, so many people being on the sidelines for so long, they're and they're jumping back in. Right. Yeah. So now they're coming back in into the game again, knowing that, you know, this is the new norm that we're going to be. You know. Well, the market's stable, but it's at a high interest rate. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Interesting. Definitely. It's an interesting whole category in general. Do you feel like it's something that people should, like, if you're someone who's out there and you're looking to be uh, an investor, right. And you like multifamily, what do you think the benefit is? So you're dealing with ultra high net worth, very like, you know, wealthy groups, you know, that are looking to buy and invest, like you said, a 25 plus, you know, million dollar property. So let's take someone who's a little bit more in the normal box, right? Where they have, let's say they have a handful of duplexes, maybe they own something that's where, you know, has 10 units also too. What is the benefit now for someone in that particular category who has uh, $15 million in assets, right? In different, you know, multifamily assets, it, should it be a goal of ours to keep getting up to higher doors 
Or what do you think? What's your opinion, I guess? Because they're two different marketable areas and they both are obviously in multifamily commercial, but they're two different options as far as growing net worth and, and value. Yeah, I mean, each one has their own philosophy. You have some people that you know, we work with that are just long-term holders. You know, they'll buy a property and just you know keep it in there forever, and then when it's time to refinance it, take money out and maybe use that money to buy you know additional properties. I mean, the, the seller for the property that I just told you about in North Miami Beach, we've been doing business together for, for over twenty years, and the very first deal that we did together was a small million-dollar deal, and now you know that owner of that property is one of the largest multifamily private owners in in South Florida. So do most of the buyers put down what percentage cash? Um, before, six months ago, people were putting down 25 to 30%. Now people are putting more like 35 to 40% down. Got it. Because of the debt market changing. And do you do the same thing? You said that you uh, yeah. had bought something. So you and a couple of other investors. Yeah, just one other partner. Yeah, we have one, one partner and then we have one, one equity partner on, on our deal. Right. And, and so you and your partners have different percentage of ownership, or are you all have equal percentage of ownership? Partners, yeah, we're, my partner and I are 50-50. So you said that you sold something for, did, what did you say? You said you sold it for how much? Uh, we sold it for 51. You sold it for 51, but you bought it for 20, what did you say? Bought it for 29. So you and uh, two partners bought it for 29 million? Mm-hmm. Okay. So then if you, if you guys, what did you guys put down? 20%? Yeah. At the time we put down... 20% on the, on the deal. So you put down $6 million. So you put in six million. So you put 2 million bucks in each of those other guys put 2 million bucks in a piece. Yes. Yep. And so you park, you park your, your $2 million there. And then how many years later? So we were getting, you know, during that time we were getting good cash flow, and then, you know, the, the rental market, you know, increased significantly during that time. And, you know, we finished our, our renovations. So we looked at our options as far as either a sale or a refinancing. We took both options. Um, the, the sale option was significantly higher at the time. Yeah, I would say and, so. Uh, and so all, everyone just agreed, let's just take the money and run and, and, and move it towards something else. And we, and that's what we did. And so is it a weird, like, so I would think I'm in your position, right? Which is a great position to be in. Right. But you're thinking to yourself, all right, I bought this asset for 29, but now, and I'm going to sell it for this. And now I'm going to, you know, you upgrade, of course, you know, typically is what people do. Right. Um, I'm going to upgrade, but I'm going to, now I'm going to quote overpay for this new property. That's probably the same caliber as what you bought X amount of years ago. And you have to go through a similar kind of process to me. Is that like a hard psychological shift kind of? No, because in our situation, you know, um, we sold a property that was built in the late sixties. So it was an older product type. Oh wow! And then the property that we're buying right now is late nineties construction. So it has you know much nicer units, larger units, much nicer amenities. You know, we, strange, weird closets and weird bathrooms. And we, and we found you know kind of a, a mismanaged property. So it has a very, very high vacancy. And we're actually buying it cheaper than the properties that we sold. And so when you bought the property, when you bought the property for $29 million, yeah. what after you guys put in your six million, so obviously then you know there's $23 million that you're financing. So were you actually with a positive cash flow every month after the debt service was paid, after all the expenses were paid? Or was it a lot of, hold on, I just want, I'd like you to answer the full question because I have a couple looped together. So there was positive cash flow. And then was there such a substantial amount of positive cash flow 
it, it could have, you could have like just had this and doing this on your own and lived off of that. Or was it like kind of a lean amount of money that you just knew when you were hoping and betting that like, you know, a few years later or several years later, you'd be able to sell it for more and you know make some more profits out of it. Yeah. I mean, we, we won't, but we go into the deals and seeing what our cash flow is going to be every, every month after we pay all our expenses, after we pay, you know, the debt and everything. So, you know, for this particular situation, we had a very nice cash flow, you know, for the, for the two years going in, obviously they increased every month because we were going in and upgrading the units, you know, on, on, when the tenants vacated and then as a result, you know, increased the rent. So, you know, whatever we were at our base every month after that, we, we kind of had an increased uh, income coming in. So what percentage of like a return on your investment did you get? You were getting about $2 million. How much did you get? You were getting about 10% on our money. So you personally would get like $200,000 a year from it. Correct. So you got like the steal, I would say. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, we, we knew I mean, you got $200,000 a year each and then you sold it for $20 million more than you bought it for. That's like amazing. Congratulations. Yeah. It, was a scream. It, it was a phenomenal deal. And, you know, being in the market, we know where deals are. The seller, you know, owned it for 30 plus years and, uh, um, someone wanted to get out. Yeah, he he wanted to get out. His kids that he was older and retiring, and his kids didn't want to take over the deal. And you know, we came in and we we showed him the money. You know, we came in and said, you know, here's a million dollars. And obviously, you didn't have too smart of a seller. Right. Yeah, he, he was. <laughs> yeah, he was represented by us. He was another realtor. You know, represented him. He wasn't and, too swift either. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, we took advantage. Yeah. It was a deals like that. So, should people out there think that deals like that are like you know around every street corner, or that was very rare? That was rare, but you know that was two years ago, and you know we we yeah. kind of find anything else till now. So yeah. I mean, we see plenty of deals that, that are brought to our attention. So, what did you do with your money and your profits that you took off the table? What did you do with those while you were waiting for something else? Do you just stick them in the bank, or do you put them in no, another investment? No, him and I teamed up with another developer, and uh, we built uh, you know large single family homes in, in Wellington with, with barns and stalls. Uh, we're in the horse business uh, with my family, my wife and uh, daughter, you know, riding consistently. So we're up in Wellington all the time. Oh, nice. Yeah. Opportunity of, of a distressed house in Wellington uh, near the equestrian center over there. And uh, we talked a good amount of money in, into that project. And, uh, you know, it's a single family home with 25 stalls. So, you know, uh, we put part of that into that, that. And then the other part is going into the new Gainesville deal. Wonderful. Um, by the way, that's awesome. So by the way, congratulations for that. I think it's absolutely amazing. Yeah. So let's go to now we're in 2023. Yeah. Right? So that particularly, you had a unique uh, seller, right? Which is more common than you think. You had a unique seller. So what would be a level of expectation you think in, in, in this day and age now, uh, where we're at now for a level of expectation and level of return? Because you know, I would say as a, a layman, I would think to myself, all right, so apartments typically are geared towards working class people. They're not really geared towards families. Uh, I would think that families typically have a little bit higher income than, you know, individuals who are living in apartments typically. And how much can someone actually pay in rent? And especially in South Florida here, it definitely has pushed that envelope to how much more can you really increase, period. Even if it was 3% a year, you know, if you're already paying for a one bedroom, $1,700, you know, how much higher can it go really? That's the big question that's constantly being, you know, thrown out there, you know, how much more room are, are these able to increase by? And, you know, three years ago, people didn't think that they would get to even close to the level that we're at today. Uh, but yeah. I think 
It's now we're talking about changing digits. So changing yeah. digits is a little bit different. So Got going it. from 1,100 to 1,500 to 1,700, you're still 1,000. Yeah. So changing digits, I feel like that's a whole nother. What do you mean? Like going to 2,000? Two. Yeah. Going to 2,000. The first digit changes. Is to be on right now. Even the property that I was telling you about in North Miami Beach, you know, it's, a, it's an older property over there in a decent location, but the rents are just incredible over there. I mean, they're they're renting their one bedrooms between 18 and 1,900. They're renting their two bedroom, two bath units for over 2,300. And then they have three bedrooms over there that they're getting over $2,700 a month for. Listen, in Boca, it's worse. Yeah. Uh, in East Boca, there's a one-bedroom apartment. I know a particular uh, apartment building that's in a great location downtown. It's $2,800 a month for one-bedroom apartment. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. It, it, they're making a fortune. It's amazing. It's hurting a lot of the you know the families in the service industry, for instance, that, I mean, how much more can you, you know. They, and it's going up. After a year, it's going it's up. up. It's going up. And a landlord, for instance, you know, could be represented all these landlords. They have a waiting list. I mean, that, that property in North Miami Beach, it's 199 apartments. They don't have a vacancy available until the end of February now. Wow. Let's switch gears a little bit. Let's switch gears to how would someone want to get into your particular industry? Say, so, you know, I am looking to be in commercial real estate and regular commercial real estate can be very, you know, cutthroat. And it's definitely a niche. It's yeah. difficult to get into. There's all different subcategories of the commercial industry. There's just the industrial, there's industrial and free development, there's land development, there's what you do. So specifically, let's talk about what you do. How would somebody really, if they wanted to get into commercial real it estate, into your niche, how would they really get into it? So so I'll tell you how, when I first started, you know, 20 plus years ago, you know, I, I was just coming out of college. I didn't know what I was going to do. I I was planning on going to law school and then got involved in commercial real estate up in Connecticut, where I'm originally from, and then came down here and then meet with all the major companies. And I was with a company called Marcus Melchap. Uh, yes, we know them very well. Yep. When I first started, I was there for 16 years. Um, you know, and when I first started, you know, I was uh, a research manager over there. So I was in charge of all the research that was going on in, within the market. And then on the weekends, you know, I'd, I'd drive all the different properties and, you know, we didn't have the cell phones with cameras on it at the time, but I'd take pictures of every single property, uh, you know, within the market. And, you know, the following week, I, you know, get in touch with those owners and, and you know, try to get in front of them. And uh, it's definitely not an easy business. It's not an overnight business. You know, I think nowadays if you join part of a team and you start off as an analyst and you really learn the industry, you learn the markets, you learn how to underwrite the deals. And it's an opportunity to really get your foot in the door that way. And then slowly, gradually, you know, becoming a broker and, and producer. So would you say that, you know, let's just say you're, you're getting into real estate in general, right? You can pick your lanes, right? You know, you can pick your lane of going into residential. So I would think that residential real estate, particularly, if you stick with it, obviously you can get a return on your time quicker, right? As far as the amount of money you make. But would you say there's more of a guarantee in staying in your lane long term to be making more money? I think so. I think it's the, the same thing you can do for any any field that you specialize in. The key is specializing in, in a certain field and dominating that that field, you know, in that market. Whether it's you know commercial real estate for multifamily or office buildings or residential realtor. Um, you know, I have some very close friends that are realtors and with single family homes, and I mean they dominate their markets and they're phenomenal at what they do. And like I said, you know, I've used them to to sell my home when we were moving. And then when we bought a home, 
be hard for realtors to represent us. And just because we're not part of MLS, you know, we don't know anything about them. And, you know, I wanted, you know, someone to represent me, just like, you know, all these clients and developers, you know, want us to represent them on, on their sales. So your firm really is more of the, a brokerage of knowing the right people to connect to, to be able to buy the property. 100%, so yeah. it's, not, it's not the same as, uh, you know, buying something and you slap it up online. It's knowing who to call to bring to the table. Yeah, we have a massive database with thousands and thousands of people that we, you know, showcase these deals to, you know, right when they're ready to be marketed. Um, and then we follow up with a lot of them. We know the kind of buyers that are buying, whether it's a newer deal, whether it's an added value deal. So those are kind of got groups that we, you know, contact immediately once we have our new assignments. That's so a- my, my question that I was going to ask was, you mentioned that it's an up and down thing. At the beginning of the conversation, at the beginning of the podcast, you said that, you know, I think it's not the easiest business or you said something about it being up and down. Yeah. Correct. Yep. That's a yes. Right. Yeah. So if that's the case, I mean, how is it really up and down? I know that every business goes through, you know, different ebbs and flows, but you want to explain when is it not good? Well, listen, I mean, not every deal that you, you take out to market that you spend on, you don't get paid until the property closes. Correct. Well, that's any kind of real estate that's based on commission. Obviously, that's the case. So besides that, which is the standard answer for any real estate agent, commercial or residential, what else is there that's not good that people might... He mentioned uh, earlier that in 22, they sold in the first half of the year, they sold more than they did in 21 in the first half of the year. But was 21 considered... Well, hold on a second, John. But was 21 considered a bad year? No, twenty one was considered okay. A so, then, so that doesn't re- so that doesn't have anything to do with my question. So, but then he said the second half, because interest rates went up, uh-huh. it, the market really cooled off, and then now we're in the twenty three. You know, investors came out because they were wanting to see what happened in the market, and now they're ready to re-enter. That's a wave because you don't you think that like you're way up here. So that's an ebb and flow. That's what I was saying. I want to know if what John is saying is that what you're referring to. Or over the years, over the 20 years, are there other things? These are standard things with real estate that everybody knows, which is that there's ups and downs. But you specifically said in the beginning, it's not easy or there's ups and downs. What do you mean by that? Just the standard things in real estate or is there other things? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of factors going in. I mean, you know, you sometimes lose deals because during inspections and due diligence with things that are bound. Um, other times, you know, for instance, on a lot of these big deals, you know, these clients have equity partners. Sometimes their equity partner backs out of the deal. And, you know, they had to drop it at that time. Yeah. Yeah. I completely understand. These are standard things that any real estate, you know, deal deals with. I just was curious um, to see if there was more to it in your particular niche. Like John was mentioning, you know, if they want to get into your niche. So if they do want to get into it, what other things do they have to consider? And really by listening to you, it isn't anything else that would be in any sort of real estate. You know what I mean? All of it applies. Why? you mean? Well, because every deal, the buyer backs out, the seller backs out, inspection doesn't go well, they find a problem, financing fails. These are all the things that he's saying. So in the beginning, I thought he was saying like, there's other nuances that go along with your particular niche that are maybe bad, but it's just any kind of real estate deals with all of those sorts of things. Any of that kind. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, uh, yeah, um, you're going to go from ups and downs to getting a high of, you know, getting a new deal and then putting it under contract and then you get the low of, they lost their equity partner. The 
financing yeah. coming yeah. I mean, you were you were saying like, you know, if anyone wants to go into his line of work, you know, what things did they be considered or what what should they do? So what I was trying to ask is, is there anything outside the realm of regular real estate issues that go on with any sort of real estate deal, whatever form of real estate you're in? Is there anything else? Because he had made the comment earlier that, you know, it was ups and downs, but it is just a normal, like there is with any kind of real estate. I guess like maybe the thing, is it that like to John's point again, if someone did decide to go into the niche that you're in, what's the benefit that you really can quote, get rich quicker? No, I think it's longer, but you have a better chance because you're going to be dealing with larger deals. Okay. So he had to start off doing analysis work of understanding why these are good deals for people. Right. Because you're dealing with lots and lots and lots of money. Yeah. And if you're not able to really bring people great opportunities, they're not going to ever come back to you. Right. So the stress really is finding the good deals that cash flow and make sense. Yeah, exactly. And, And you know, because usually what happens is the seller will, will contact us or we'll contact, you know, a client and, and they'll say, listen, we're open to possibly selling the property and we'll put together an analysis for them. Usually, you know, that seller will go and get maybe two or three other opinion of values from other companies and make it, you know, as a competition. And uh, we have to go in and, and, and kind of picture ourselves, you know, why we're sure. the, the right for the property, you know, just like a residential or any other sure. business that sure. you're going to compete with other companies, uh, you know, on, on the business. Where are you located in South Florida? Uh, so our office is in Boca Raton. Okay. Yeah, I live in Delray Beach. Nice. Off of Glades? Uh, our office is off Yamato, Yamato and Congress. Oh, great. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. How long have you been in that location? So about four or five years. And why Boca? Is there a specific reason or just that's where you guys ended up? We're just, yeah, parked at. <laughs> There's a place to park. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I live in Delray. There's a place places. to park. <laughs> we certainly didn't want to go south where we had to sit in bumper to bumper traffic to get to work. So we, we chose up here. It's near 95. Yeah. <laughs> this was great. I really, I learned a lot from this conversation. I appreciate you guys having me and uh, always available if there's any questions or anything uh, that, that you guys need. I did too. And I really appreciate you sharing all of your knowledge and getting so detailed yeah. in your industry because, you know, the goal of this podcast is to really help open up people's minds, ideas, get their creative juices going to what they actually want to achieve, you know, with their life particularly. Because like you mentioned even earlier about the person that you just sold a property to not too long ago, you knew him from 20 years ago and you sold him a million dollar property. And then look what he did now. Right. And that's the kind of strategic value of mentorship and people like yourself that you need to be able to connect with and understand with to have these conversations of knowing where it actually can go. Cause you can go from a $1 million property to what was his? This current one that we're selling for him is 51 million. It's a 51. cultivated success. I would say so. Yeah. Oh, thank you for joining us very much. If you would, please let everyone know how they can reach out to you and get in touch with you. Should they have any questions? Uh, so email is always the best. Uh, it's it's tal t a l dot friedman f r y d m a n at n m r k dot com, which is for Newmark, and um, that's always the best way to reach me. Fantastic! Thanks again for joining us today. We appreciate it, and we look forward to meeting up with you again soon and seeing where you are. Absolutely! Thanks, guys. You got it. This has been the Cultivating Success Podcast with Jeff Sofer and Jonathan Wolfson. To learn more about Jeff and Jonathan and their businesses, visit www.natureexperts.com.